Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome back to the second episode in this podcast series about the impact of formula recall. I'm Jonna Emil with Elite Learning. I'll be your host. And in the first episode, Dr. Abrams addressed the issues that led to the shortage of formula in the United States. These were supply chain issues that resulted from the pandemic and the closure of one of the largest factories in the United States that produced specialty formula for at-risk babies. In this episode, we'll explore what steps are being taken to ease the burden of the shortage on parents. Now, um, on a personal note, my cousin just had a baby and she's congratulations thank you thank you we're all wildly excited about it and one of the things too that we you know me personally as a nurse as as a just a family member she's adjusting to becoming a new parent she's enjoying the new baby and all the things that come with it and also has to think about am i going to be in trouble right for with this issue am i going to run into a problem and I don't know that I feel like I, I'm fully equipped to talk about what she can do. So for the folks right now that are thinking about alternatives or they really might be bet- stuck between a rock and a hard place and trying to figure out what they can give to their babies, I've read and seen and heard a ton of stuff of all the things that you can do, all the alternatives you can feed to an infant. But I imagine that not all of those things are safe. So That's can right. you talk a little bit about that? Sure. For new moms who are willing and able to, obviously breastfeeding is is, is best. Um, but we don't want moms who are unable or have to go back to work or who from breastfeeding to be successful to feel that they're anyway harming their infant. They're not. We don't with no guilt whatsoever. So we do want to focus on making safe formulas available. There are some things, however, that are clearly not safe. The single thing that we focus the most on that's not safe, no matter what you read, is making your own formula at home. I can't emphasize enough that we need to educate families not to make formula at home. There's lots of reasons for that. We've even had reports of babies being hospitalized because of homemade formulas or having cases that the CDC has reported of babies who've had uh, hypocalcemia and seizures from, from these homemade formulas. I don't care if you read that your grandma was raised on it, your mom was raised on it, and your 19 cousins were raised on it. It's not <laughs> safe. It's all that they had back 50 years ago. But even if most babies do well on it, a significant number of babies won't. Do not make your own formula, no matter what you read online. It's not safe, no matter what you read. The other thing, um, and families just need some education. It's hard for families to sort out what they read online and to sort that out. Now, then in terms of alternatives, now, first of all, right now, I think we're in a situation for the most part where not finding any formula at all is becoming less common. We're okay. beginning to get over the hump. Now, that doesn't mean it can't still happen, but we're beginning to get over the hump. And I think by the, you know, over the end of June, July, we're going to see less cases of absolutely finding no formula. But the first thing is to be very flexible on brands. The overwhelming majority of not severely allergic babies will tolerate most of the formulas that are out there. 
Oh, they may have a preference for one or the other, but if you're just patient, um, mm-hmm. you know, give them a day or so to get used to it. Most of them will do fine on almost any of the routine formulas. Despite what you'll read, words like sensitive and gentle and pro and all those sorts of things, those are advertising terms. They don't tell mm-hmm. you anything about the formula being better. Don't believe it. Okay. Let your baby use what you, what you can find, what you can afford, etc. Now, when there was a time when there was no formula at all, through the American Academy of Pediatrics, writing in something called healthychildren.org, which has a lot, which is its parent-facing website, which has a lot of information, some of that prepared for them. We did say that for babies over six months, for a few days to a week, you could use whole cow milk. We don't think that's ideal, but for the older infant, it's okay. As babies get over nine, 10 months of age, it's a little bit safer. You can use toddler formulas designed for babies over a year, again, for short periods of time. We prefer infant formula throughout the first year of life, but if you absolutely can't find anything and you have an older infant nearing a year of age, you know, a little bit of cow milk, a little bit of toddler formula will will, will do them likely fine. Again, right now, I think that level of, of, of crisis is, is diminishing. Okay, very good. Are there benefits to some of these alternative formulas? Like if we have parents that in one way are kind of forced to try a different type of formula that they weren't using before, is there a a benefit to that? Maybe so it's not so scary to say you must switch to this, but there's actually some good for that. Uh, Maybe. And certainly some babies will like one formula or another, but I encourage families not to believe that the most expensive formula on the shelf is the best formula. Mm. All the formulas on the shelf, including those ones that um, don't have a brand name on them, but are just from that store, are reviewed by the FDA. They all meet the requirements of the law. Many of them have lots of really good things in them, like DHA and, 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 and all that sort of stuff in there. So, you know, find the formula your baby likes, but don't feel like, you know, sometimes I hear parents say, well, I stopped breastfeeding and I really feel like I want to use the very best formula, so I bought the one that was the highest price. Yeah. Well, that's marketing that's doing that to you. <laughs> okay. That's skillful marketing convincing you to buy the one that has the highest price tag. Um, so you don't need to do that. If you want okay. to, more power to you. Um, <laughs> but not necessary. <laughs> but, but it's not necessary. You know, make your own decisions. Um, but, you know, there isn't something about one brand of formula that truly makes it something that this is the formula all babies should have. Okay. That, well, that's reassuring. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they, they released guidelines, right? You spoke a little bit about, I think, cow's milk. That was one of the things that I had read as well. What other uh, recommendations are they making? And I think it's important just to highlight that because one of the things I know that's super important for me, right, as a, as a nurse and, and anyone who's listening in our audience now who works in healthcare and maybe is working with families, with infants, we want to help, right? And it's not that we can just walk to the, the, the plant and reopen and start to mass produce, but we want to help and we want to guide our patients and we want to guide our community and family. So Talk to me a little bit about guidelines, about recommendations, about things that I can say to help. You know, we want people to be aware of community resources, food banks, WIC, um, 
you know, going to friends who might have babies are just almost of the year and saying, Hey, can you switch your baby to cow milk a few weeks early and, and then let me have your formula, you know, sort of thing. Um, I think a lot of our families, especially families for whom being in America is new, families for whom English is not a language they're comfortable in, can really have trouble, and families who are financially challenged, um, can have a real trouble manipulating the system. So understanding that they do have friends out there, whether or not those friends are the nurses that they know, their pediatrician, WIC, food banks, churches, and religious organizations and the like. A lot of these places are in the internet that's providing safety. So there are resources out there, but we naturally, those of us who are comfortable in an internet era know how to access all these. Um, but many families, especially those who are lower income or, or not fluent in English, can have some real challenge you know, um, accessing these resources. Yeah. So we can definitely help in that way to guide them or get them connected. Maybe that they, they don't know what they don't know in that way. All right. Now you underscored home, homemade formulas. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you how much I have read and seen of recipes to make your own homemade formulas online. And I'm hearing it even in healthcare circles. And again, we must underscore how dangerous and unsafe that can be. But can you tell us specifically why? You know, if someone's listening in right now and thinking to exactly what you said, and I was guilty, I'm thinking about my mom and grandma, using things that today is an absolute no-no, but back then we did it because that that was what they had available. But why? Why is that such a safety concern today? We do have to understand that ideas change. Most of us went to sleep on our stomachs yeah. years ago, and we learned that that was a huge risk factor for crib death. And we move babies their back and the instance of SIDS went way down. So just because it was good enough for your two generations ago. Say it again. Say it again. Isn't isn't the right thing. And I can pay all sorts of cultural practices, some of which you may be familiar with, that we've kind of recognized are not not ideal that, that, that maybe so. So we love grandma wisdom, but not all grandma wisdom <laughs> That's right. is, 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 is ideal. So first of all, these homemade formulas really don't have the right mix of nutrients in them, no matter what, especially the ones, the worst of the ones are made out of um, things like hemp oils and hemp and things, the vegan ones and things yeah. like that. They often lack even the most basic amount of minerals and that babies need. So some of the online sites will say, yeah, it has plenty of minerals, but the baby can't absorb, can't use those minerals because they're not in the right form. When we deal with cow milk, even when you add vitamins, these formulas tend to be very low in usable iron. So the biggest problem with cow milk or anything based off cow milk that's not formula is iron deficiency, which causes severe neurological problems and poor neural outcomes in small babies because that's when they really need their iron in that first year to two years of life. And then, of course, there's the minerals with the cases I told you, rickets and hypocalcemic seizures reported by the CDC and, and, and others. And then there's just plain flat-out growth failure. Babies don't grow on these things. So, yeah, most babies survived um, uh, 50 years ago, but they are not safe. And the biggest fear we have is that people will get put on these formulas. Some of them are cheap. And money's an issue, and they're going to say, well, you know, my baby made it for a few days on this. I'm going to just stick with it. And the longer they're on it, the more risks of nutrient deficiencies, growth failure, iron deficiency, anemia, and things of that sort. 
So yeah. don't believe what you read. Um, all I can do is trust those 60,000 pediatricians, pediatric nurses, dietitians, and the like who are telling you the truth. They might know a thing or two. We hope so. <laughs> now, so for us that are, are working with patients directly, so working with infants, working with families, it, it, the things that we should look out for, let's say that if we're concerned that maybe this family is being affected by a formula shortage and that there is a nutritional deficit that exists, how are pediatricians assessing that and helping to manage that? How can a nurse like me be aware and, and observe for issues and deficiencies? Well, like so many things, it starts with a good non-judgmental history. Tell me how you're feeding your baby. Not You're not using homemade formula, are you, kind of thing. Right. It's just like so many issues we, we learn how to approach families in non-judgmental ways. You know, find out what they're, what they're doing. And then, of course, you know, the, the good education that comes out of it. Physically, we're focusing on, on, on growth and not just weight. Because you can put a lot of sugar into a baby's feedings. You can give a baby sugar water and give them, make them fat, but their head's not growing. Their length isn't growing. So make sure we're getting good mark measurements in the clinic of length with a length board done properly, not just, you know, uh, you know the old tape measure kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, properly done head circumference, plotted out on age-appropriate World Health Organization growth curves and CDC growth curves properly. So good assessment of the history of the of the anthropometry, the, the the growth. In some cases, especially if they've been on something that doesn't sound like it's right for you know, a couple of weeks, you may need to check a hemoglobin um, or some an ferritin or some marker of, of iron status. Uh, yeah, it depends on on that clinical history and, and what they're telling you. Uh, we don't normally need to worry too much, although we're always worried about infections. We won't routinely evaluate for sepsis or anything like that unless there's a clinical indication. On the other hand, there are still some cases of bacterial infection from contaminated formulas that could exist. So a baby that's acting like he might be infected needs the same sepsis evaluation uh, than any other baby does. Infection with this bacteria, Chronobacter, is not federally reportable as a disease. So we need to make sure that if one does hear about a case of Chronobacter, that we remind the caring physicians that that should be directly reported to the FDA and the CDC. Again, you know, we, we would think only one state in the country has it as a reportable condition. I'm trying to get that law fixed, but it's not reportable <laughs> um, by law. So, you know... Uh, there, I think there's a lot that we can do. And I think supporting parents in appropriate choices, sympathizing with them that, oh my gosh, I had to drive an hour to find the formula, but it will get better. And reassuring them that it is getting better and that we'll continue to get better if they kind of hang on with us and, and work through it rather than making a bad health choice. Uh, you know, things will get better. Yeah. And so I imagine some of that comes from panic, right? I myself am yeah. not in charge of having to feed an infant, but I imagine if I was and listening to the news and reading what's out there, that might make me panic a little bit. And then that's, I think, where we kind of make bad decisions in that way. Right. Absolutely. So where do we go from, from here? We know that what the issue is that we've had with our, our plant. We know that we are importing, we're teaching our, our community, our families, everybody, right? The right things to do in this type of scenario, but what happens next year or the year after that? Are we going to be in this scenario again? 
Well, that's a great question, something that worries me a lot, and I've written some things about it because it, it does concern me that we're short-term solutions, not long-term solutions. And let's face it, we tend to think of short-term solutions as a society and then our government and the like. We all tend to think of long-term solutions. So the allowances for imported formula and the flying-in formula and all that sort of stuff only last through November of this year. Now, I'm hopeful that the factory will be up running full speed. We won't have any trouble in November, but I'm not convinced of that. <laughs> um, so I think that we need to be advocating for long-term solutions. I think we need to open up the marketplace. If there's a lot more than three companies that are primarily operating. Actually, there's four because the store brand formulas um, and some very small companies. We need to make it importation friendly. So let some of these companies are making goat milk formula. If it was safe in 2022, it'll be safe in 2023 to bring these formulas in. So we need to advocate that. We need to look at um, how the WIC program operates to make sure that they're flexible and able to deal with shortages. We need to hold companies accountable so that if they have a problem in manufacturing, it's immediately known and the public is made aware and the government immediately steps in to provide supplies. So Congress is looking, they've been holding hearings, they're continuing to hold hearings, they're looking at legislation. But I think we as a public also need to be advocates for our children, as always, and pay attention to what's going on in Congress and elsewhere to make sure that the things that are being done are out there that provide long-term, not just short-term solutions. Yeah. You know, let me ask you this, because I didn't, I didn't ask you before. This sounds novel to me, this shutdown, right? This this issue of formula shortage. But has this ever happened before? There have been recalls and there have been factory problems before, but nothing on this scale, nothing like mm. this. The last major recall was about six, seven years ago, and even it wasn't anything on the scale of this this recall. So there so have been really outbreaks, are. there have been problems. This, this level, and I really think it was a combination of the pandemic and all the challenges related to getting supplies to the formula manufacturers so that they could make formula, produce it, ship it out, get it distributed, um, combined with this that, that, that set us off in, into this panic. But we've, we've had challenges before, but nothing at this magnitude. Yeah, it's quite quite large. Now, one final thing, and I had a note about this yesterday and actually came through, uh, was a former patient who was asking this question about giving babies water, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that I just took the time to answer <laughs> this question live, right? Because again, sure. I think some of this just comes from so much of Sure. You know, but we're hearing, and I get it, we have to collect our information from somewhere, and it's difficult to sift through what Absolutely. we hear. But, you know, in the same, that same vein of what we can do, someone's maybe thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't feed my baby. But if I fill them up with water, you know, they feel comfortable. They're not whining anymore for food. So first of all, I again, encourage people to send families to healthychildren.org. We have articles about all of these things there that are written for families, all translated into Spanish and sometimes into multiple languages um, for families. So we're, we're, we're trying to be, you know, uh, inclusive in that, in that direction. To specifically answer your question, in general, water is not recommended for babies under six months of age. That, that in the first six months, babies should only be being breastfed or getting formula. After six months of age, small amounts of water are okay. But what we don't ever want families to do is over dilute their infant formula at any age. All that's going to do is cause hyponatremia, low sodium, um, or or just plain growth failure. So babies cannot adapt 
to having formula over diluted. So a small amount of water, especially as we go into the summer months for older infants as they get closer to a year, is fine. There's some guidelines, you know, at Healthy Children and other places on how much to give, but it's a really small amount. No juice under the, in the first year of life. The AAP came out, and I strongly support that. Um, no juice under a year of life. Solid foods get started about six months of age. You can certainly use that to help fill the baby up. Sometimes we'll start a little bit before six months if the baby seems like they're ready from all the cues that they give. Um, but the general guidance from the World Health Organization is about six months of age. But some families start a little bit early on that. Um, solid foods don't replace formula. Right. They're, they're, they're an addition. Um, but water, really, there's no indication for using water in the first six months. Um, but after that, a small amount of water is generally okay. Any questions, call the pediatrician. They handle these questions morning, noon, and night, um, especially nowadays. They're getting, they're, they're dealing with all, all the time. So have the families be in communication with their healthcare provider. Excellent. Excellent. Dr. Abrams, thank you so much for all of this information. This has been fantastic. Is there anything that you want to leave me with, leave our audience with? I, I hear healthychildren.org, right, is a fantastic site, parent-facing. I've been on there myself. It's super easy to read and understand. Any other resources or just kind of last pearls of wisdom right now in this kind of scary and frustrating time? Sure. We're trying to solve a formula shortage by getting families more shortage. But I don't want us to forget supporting breastfeeding or supporting breastfeeding moms and families, especially those working moms, working families, where going back to work six weeks after you give birth and then trying to pump and take care of your baby is challenging. So I think that this is also a wake-up call to our society. I have no qualms about saying that, that we need to be supportive of breastfeeding moms and families who wish to breastfeed for as long as they want to breastfeed to meet their goals. And we need to make the workplace breastfeeding friendly. We need to make our society public breastfeeding friendly. Every state permits public breastfeeding, but try doing it and, you know, and, and yeah. get, <laughs> you know, so we need to, we need to take this opportunity to make our society friendly to families, friendly to lower income families, friendly to working families that, that, that need this kind of support. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. You've been a fantastic guest and I'm smarter than I was an hour ago. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. In this episode, we heard Dr. Abrams discuss the shortage and impact of homemade formulas on babies, some of which have dangerous consequences. And in our next and final episode in this series, we'll hear from a mother whose son's specialty formula was impacted by the shortage. Please join me. This is Jana Emil for Elite Learning. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.